What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Ohioverse presented by Deep Dive Sports. I am joined by Greg, as always. How you doing, Greg? What's going on? Heck yeah, heck yeah. Um, Pretty standard week within sports here, Um, other than probably that close win by Ohio State. We're going to kind of go back a week and talk about the Babcock stuff there with the Blue Jackets and all that dysfunctional dysfunctionalness. Um, we'll probably talk about the crew and FC Cincinnati in our next episode as they approach the playoffs. It looks like both teams are going to make it. Um, and then in this episode, we'll talk about the playoff chances of the Reds. And then uh, the Browns. Is their defense as good as it looks? But we'll go ahead and start with Ohio State first. Um, you know, obviously there were question marks about Kyle McCord, that offense. I think the, you know, before last season and towards the end of the season, there were still some question marks about that defense. You know, Greg, just recap your thoughts on this game in general and then uh, give your thoughts on, you know, what the development of Kyle McCord as a quarterback has has looked like um, over the past four games and specifically in this game of against Notre Dame? Well, I, I would say that this is possibly like, it's almost like a coming out party for Kyle McCord. Um, I, I don't think it was quite the, the coming out party, but uh, you know, he was 21 for 37, 240 yards, that gritty 65 yard drive in the final 85 seconds. I mean, he looked, like a poised QB. Um, it, it was really good. The, the first uh, couple of games, I really just didn't see this in him. And it just seems like uh, he kind of hit his stride. Um, the first half was a little shaky, obviously, for both teams. But moving towards the end of the game, he really showed you know, that he could be a, a top-tier quarterback. So I was really excited to see that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think uh, just for the game in general, this was a, a big defensive game. I think both teams showed out defensively. I think that the offenses definitely have to go back and kind of look at what each defense did to slow them down and try to prevent that in the coming weeks. But I think when you look at somebody like Kyle McCord, I think he just is a he's a very good game manager, it looks like. And he definitely was able to step up and lead that final drive down the field. Now it helps that the last two plays Notre Dame only had 10 people on the field, but you know, that's, that's on them. But I think he definitely showed poise in that final drive. There was like a little over a minute left and he was able to lead that team down the field, him and Abuka connecting, you know, connection after connection and, you know, them being able to get in the end zone and win that game in the final seconds. Um, It almost, it almost rectifies it just a little bit of that, you know, New Year's loss of the championship game. I don't think it'll ever totally fix it, but it definitely shows some poise in a team that that can win late. Um, I'm kind of excited to see what they can turn into this season. I think the big question mark for them in the Ryan Day era is, are they tough enough? That's what a lot of people are saying is they're not tough enough. They're not gritty enough. Um, and they just kind of get out physical in games. And I think this game showed that they weren't going to let somebody out physical them. They were going to give that same energy specifically on the defense side of the ball. And I was super impressed with that. I think the offense has still some, some growth to do, but all in all, heck of a game. I mean, if you wanted to see high flying offense, this wasn't the game to watch, but I think defensively that that was a really fun game. Um, did you have any other comments on the game in general, Greg? Well, I just felt, you know, I think, what is it? Marcus Freeman's the head coach in Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. I understand you didn't want to take the penalty, but, you know, from moving it from the one yard line to the, the half yard line, but adding that extra defenseman uh, possibly on the line, I, I honestly think could have made the difference. And I understand he didn't, want to take the penalty and he didn't have a timeout to to adjust it but it just seems like poor coaching in my opinion um and when it really comes down to it 
Um, Ryan Day just out coached him, uh, you know, towards, you know, at, at that last little, little bit, because that's just poor coaching decisions, you know, take the penalty, get the correct guys on the field um, and possibly be able to make that stop, even if it's on the, you know, half yard line. Um, and then that's a different uh, outcome for the game completely. What did you think of uh, Ryan Day's comments, uh, especially targeted at Lou Holtz, um, you know, after, after the game? The thing, like, I don't know. I mean, Lou Holtz is <laughs> – I don't think he was wrong when he said that we have constantly been out physical in games. You know, like teams have always been more physical against us and we haven't been able to compete in that department under Ryan Day. Like, I don't think he was wrong to say it. Now, like, can Ryan Day be upset about it? Can, can, can the team be upset about it? Is it motivation? Sure, 100%. Um but like, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think Ryan Day has to be honest. That team has to be honest with themselves. Like, two years against Michigan, just kind of getting. It wasn't even like they got beat. They got beat down. You know, I think when you kind of look at some of the losses that they've had, or some of those games that were closer than what they should have been, it's just because teams just played really physical, and Ohio State wasn't able to do wasn't able to match that level of physicalness. And and really they, if they came out on top, it was just because of the talent that they had. So yeah, I mean, if it gets them to play with a chip on their shoulder, then sure. But I don't know. I mean, it's, it's college football. I mean, you look at prime prime time and all of his factored, you know, stuff to get his guys motivated and going. And like, <laughs> I, I don't know. I, I think some of it, is probably not warranted, but at the same time, I think this one, his comments definitely were true, and maybe that's why it hurt so much <laughs> to Ryan Day because um, it cut deep at like him as a coach, you know, his coaching style, the way he runs his organization. I think, uh, I think that probably cut deep for him. So maybe he makes a change. I don't know. I mean, I personally liked it. Uh, uh, that's the most energy and emotion I've seen out of Ryan Day. Mm-hmm. State and that seems to. Uh, I've even had people that are not Ohio State fans that that even said I have a little bit more respect for Ryan Day now, um, and and the Ohio State University, just based on that after game interview because that's the type of emotion that you want to see from a coach, um, and they coach from a different place when it comes to that. And sometimes it can hurt them, and sometimes it can help them. Um, yeah, but I I, I personally. Like you said, Lou Holtz's uh, comments were, you know, uh, pretty spot on. But uh, when it comes down to it, I, I like, you know, Brian Day's Ohio against the world comment. It really mm-hmm. galvanized, galvanized not only the team, uh, but I think the fan base and the state of Ohio when you hear something like that. Yeah, I mean, if that if he can find a place to where he's like fiery, but also calm, you know what I mean? I think. I think he's tried to play that like, oh, I'm calm, cool, and collected role. And like, I can respect it. And I think a lot of people can respect it. But like you said, there's some instances where you'd want to see him be a little bit more fiery, be a little bit more um, intense in moments. And he just hasn't. And I wonder if that, you know, leads people to believe that he just either doesn't care or like he's very nonchalant about things. Um And I think he's got to be able to find that healthy balance. You know, I don't think he could go all the way the other way. Like we saw Urban Meyer pretty much like stress himself into health conditions. You know, I don't think he needs to go that way, but I think he needs to find a healthy balance where in specifically big games like this, where he can let his emotions fly and let his teammates feel those emotions and see those emotions and use that to motivate his guys in order to step up their level of play. Um, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I think that's his next level of development as a head coach. I, I think I've said it before, like people comment a lot about his timid play calling and maybe after this game, he can kind of unlock that and not be so timid with it and let those guys go out there and fly around and play football. Um I don't know, because I think that's a big reason of why we kind of really have lost games is that 
you know, yes, those guys aren't playing physical football sometimes, but I think maybe a little bit of on the offensive side of the ball is, is that play calling and him being a little bit more timid, a little bit more passive with it and not really taking the chances and not motivating those guys to take those chances. So I know we'll see. We got a tough season ahead. You know, we still got to play Penn state and Michigan. Um, I think we still play Wisconsin. I, I know that they're not necessarily like going to compete to win a national championship this year in Wisconsin, but you know, that's another ex Ohio state football player slash coach in Luke fickle. Um, and he's going to want to win. So he's going to motiv- motivate his guys to win that game. Uh, so that's going to be a tough out, I think, regardless of, of what the ending score is. So there's some tough games uh, ahead. Um, but yeah, I don't think they play this week. I think they have a bye week this week. So there's not really a game for us to go over with them coming up. But do you have any predictions on what Kyle McCord's maybe outlook of the rest of his season will look like after this Notre Dame game that you watched him play? Um, and like I said before, like this isn't necessarily a coming out party, but it's it's damn close. Um, I think that he gained a lot of confidence uh, as a QB, and and that can go a lot farther uh, throughout the rest of the season, and and allow him to take some chances and to take some um, risks when it comes to uh, throwing the ball that maybe he wouldn't have before. Um, you know, you can be a top tier quarterback in in high school and and all that but uh you know the college game is completely different and you just kind of need to get your feet wet and kind of immerse yourself in in that style uh, of play and once you kind of understand how things work you know it's going to benefit them greatly over the course of the season Uh, i'm still sticking with my my previous statement that i i don't see ohio state um you know winning the Big Ten uh, championship and or uh, a national championship. Uh, but I think that they'll maybe be in the top six or seven uh, throughout the, the rest of the year. So, Yeah, yeah, I agree. All right, let's go ahead and move on. So sorry, I was uh, I got a Twitter announcement that there's a three-team trade and Damian Lillard is heading to Milwaukee. <laughs> are you kidding me no <laughs> it uh it says that Lillard goes to Milwaukee as a part of a three-team deal with Drew Holiday DeAndre Ayton uh some other guy a 2029 unprotected Milwaukee first and an unprotected Milwaukee swap rights in 2028 and 2030 to the Blazers and then Phoenix lands Yusuf Nurkic Grayson Allen Nasir Little and Ke- Keon Johnson Yeah, (laughs) Milwaukee was doing everything they could to protect, uh, you know, Giannis from from leaving. Uh, I think that's will keep it. Yeah, yeah, and then Phoenix just landed a ton of like rotation guys they did not have. Um, That's crazy! Wow. Okay. Sorry, everybody. Uh, Back to the Ohio sports show. Um, I feel like I felt like Schefter there for a minute while he's on ESPN and he just gets like a he's looking at his phone. I was like, what the? All right. Anyway, let's go ahead and talk about the Cleveland Browns. Um, You know, before the show, Greg, you had, you know, I think you were looking at a bunch of stats and stuff just for the show. And you had made the comment about the Browns defense. You know, I I want to get from your opinion and kind of from what you had seen, you know, is a. is this Browns defense the best in the league right now, or or at least top two, top three? Well, um, I was actually, you know, uh, watching the Pat McAfee show, so shout out to Pat McAfee. Uh, that's a pretty damn good show, and happy that he got picked up by ESPN uh, to broadcast that show. Um, they had J.J. Watt on, and uh, they were just talking that, that, you know, is pretty much the question you just asked is, this Browns defense, uh, the best defense in, uh, you know, in the NFL right now. And, and the answer is yes. I mean, they, they're first on defense in almost every single category, uh, barring, I think maybe points allowed or something like that. Um, they're, they're just phenomenal. They've only allowed four uh, uh, red zone snaps this entire season so far. That's, that's huge. You know, 
uh, it's just amazing. Miles Garrett, I mean, he's just even when they double team him, he just seems to find a way through. He's just he's phenomenal. Um, I think that if if your defense can keep the, their offenses uh, on their heels the entire game, and even if your your offense doesn't do great, um, which you know I I think that Deshaun Watson has progressed every game so far um, a little bit. Uh, I think a few costly mistakes uh, with the uh, Pittsburgh game kind of was the, you know, they technically should be, uh, you know, uh, undefeated right now. So, uh, you know, I, I think this defense and, uh, you know, they say defense wins championships. And I think this defense uh, is poised to be one of the best defenses in, uh, in the NFL uh, for the rest of the year. So I'm really excited to watch that. Uh, is something I didn't necessarily expect. I mean, obviously, Miles Garrett's always been, you know, phenomenal, but uh, everybody else stepping up uh, in in their spots has been pretty amazing to watch. Yeah, we talked about this the past couple of weeks on uh, Two Minute Drill between Dom and David and I about, you know, this Browns defense, and then you look at the Cowboys, Steelers, and 49ers defense, and and that those being the top four defenses within within the league, and and what their potential was and what they could do. And, you know, we talked a lot about the defensive coordinator change with the Browns and how that, you know, could potentially turn this defense around. And then that they're healthy. I think for the first time in a long time, we've seen this defense have depth and be healthy. And it's always been a good defense, but some of the pieces have been missing. And I think this year they're able to put it together like I said, with that health, with that depth, and with the defensive coordinator who's competent. And it's turned out to be, like Greg said, they allow the um, least amount of passing yards per attempt. They allow the worst uh, completion percentage with quarterbacks. They have allowed the least amount of passing yards. They have allowed the least amount of first downs when it comes to passing in passing situations they're at like six they've allowed like 16.1 percent of them um when it comes to rush yards they are second um they've only allowed 156 the eagles are first they've allowed 145 um but they have and they've they're second in yards per carry they've allowed zero rushing touchdowns and only one passing touchdown um and they've only allowed five uh, rushing first downs for 8.9% completion, which is first for run defense as well. Um, I don't think they're first in interceptions and they're not first in sacks, but they're in sacks. I think they're in the top 10. So yeah, this defense is complete. They have dudes at all levels. Miles Garrett for the first time, I think in his career, he actually has a capable pass rusher on the other side. So even when he's getting double teamed, you know, uh, I think it's Zadir Smith um, is able to make up for that. So they can't really double team Miles Garrett all the time. So I, I don't know. I mean, this is it. It's kind of crazy to think about um, because on paper, we looked at this team. and We said, hey, like they should uh, <laughs> they should compete for the playoffs this year. And the big question mark was Deshaun Watson. I think he struggled the first couple weeks of the season and then you know, this game against the Titans this past week, it seemed like kind of a get right game for him. And he was able to find a rhythm, you know, really get comfortable. He seemed to stay in the pocket more. He wasn't as, you know, worried about the pass rush. So if he can continue to get better and get back to his old form, as much as some of us don't want him to, but if he can do that, this team with that defense it could be a very dangerous team when it comes to playoff time. Um, and I think they have two big tests. I think they have the, the Ravens coming up in week five, they have a bye week in week six, and then they play the 49ers in week seven. So the next like couple games for them is going to be a really big test to see where they're at. Uh, Cause you look at the Ravens as a team that is at top of that division. And then you look at the 49ers, which is, you know, probably a Super Bowl favorite for a lot of people. Um, in a lot of circles. So any more thoughts on this Browns team, Greg? Well, I mean, so uh, obviously Nick Chubb getting uh, viciously injured. Uh, that was uh, really painful to watch. I watched that in slow-mo a few times. And, yeah, not fun. Uh, that, that's like, I've seen a lot of injuries on the football field and 
Do you do you know he only tore his MCL? Really? Yeah. <laughs> I don't I don't know how. I, I don't it seemed like every other ligament should have snapped in that. His his leg should be broken. I mean, I don't not not that I want it to be, but like just I don't know. I mean, and not to cut you off, I'm so sorry. But in oh. watching that game, they wouldn't show it on the TV, but they showed it on the Jumbotron. And everybody like I've never heard that stadium be so silent. You know what I mean? Usually, like in Pittsburgh, that stadium is loud and it's rocking all the time. But in that moment, everybody was just like, Yeah, that that was bad. And then collectively as a fan base, when you talk about the rivalry between the Steelers and the Browns, like everybody clapped him, clapped him as he was getting driven off the field, like in solidarity and support of him. And that's just something that's like you when you have a gruesome injury like that, that's pretty like everybody's like, okay, yeah, that's bad. <laughs> I mean, I guess it just shows class when it comes to, um, you know, on the football field is one thing, off the football field is is completely different. And um, it's those guys' I, lives, you know, those are their livelihoods. Like, you don't, as a, I think the majority of football fans wouldn't want to see that taken away from somebody. You know what I mean? They're all still fans of the game. But yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, so my, my more of my question or comment was, uh, do you think that with the addition of um, Kareem Hunt back into the mix uh, and Ford being the primary uh, running back, um, I guess my more of my question is, do you think that Kareem Hunt's going to pick up a majority of the snaps and Ford's going to fall to the, the second uh, line? Or do you think that Ford continues uh, to be their primary back and Kareem is just, uh, you know, uh, consider their secondary back. If Ford wasn't a guy that they thought could be their primary back, then Kareem Hunt would have never been let go. You know what I mean? Like, I think, I think Kareem Hunt is going to be a guy that's going to be valuable for them. Um, specifically when it comes to that short yardage situations. But I do think Jerome Ford is going to be their guy. He looks like, a guy that's poised to take over that that role. Um, they're using him in the past game. He's getting lots of work on the ground. So I just think that maybe his usage is not as high as you would want for a starting guy because maybe they do a little bit of running back share so those guys stay healthy throughout the season. But I do think Jerome Ford's going to be their guy, and I think he could get it done. Obviously, you can't replace Nick Chubb. He's arguably been the best running back in football or a top three running back in football for the past five or six seasons in a row. You know what I mean? I think that's, I don't think he's had a season where he was under a thousand yards, probably until this season now that he's hurt. Um, so there was some crazy stat that it was like, maybe it was touchdowns. I don't know. I think it was touchdowns like him and Derrick Henry, Derrick Henry was one Chubb was two or something like that. But there was other stats that went on. Like I think quietly in Cleveland, he's just been, amazing and we haven't really talked about it because it's been Cleveland and they've been so dysfunctional um you know they went with the you know the Baker stuff and then we had all the stuff with Deshaun Watson and Chubb has just been quietly being the best in the league over there in Cleveland and we haven't really talked about it that much so you can't replace him but I do think that Jerome Ford is good enough to you know give them good output at that running back position and and with Kareem Hunt you know, backing him up, getting probably like 10 carries a game, um, maybe taking up about like 25% of the snaps. I think that that'll be good enough for them, you know, to get it done. It's going to be a lot on Deshaun Watson now. Like before it was, okay, we could run the ball and Deshaun Watson, you know, could ease into the season. But now it's Deshaun Watson's time. Like you're getting paid $230 million a year. It's time to be your old self and it's time to win us football games. Um and that may be unfortunate for him, but it kind of is what it is at this point. So, I don't know, guys. Let us know what you think about the Browns. I know they'll probably be, like I said, there's three other teams that would probably argue about the whether the Browns' defense is the best right now in the league. Um, and the Eagles might have something to say about it too. I, I don't, I don't think the Eagles' defense is is bad, but I just think that. They have a lot of young pieces, and probably by the end of the season, we'll be talking about them in the same light as the four four teams that I mentioned. But as of right now, the Browns' defense looks really solid. So 
Let's move on to the MLB, Major League Baseball, for those of you who do not know. We'll talk some Reds, all right? They are about a game and a half back of the wild card spot. I think probably, what, Greg, there's only maybe three, four games left in the season. Not many. Um, What's your uh, update on the playoff chances for the Reds? Uh, I mean, I think they're kind of slim to none now. I mean, I know they're only a game and a half back. Um, it's it's sad because they, I think, like I said previously, um, maybe on on deck or maybe on Ohio's can't remember which one, but um, when they had the remaining twenty games left, they had the easiest schedule um, when it came down to um, you know the remaining games uh, with I think. Um, who were they playing? Uh, the Twins were their 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 biggest, you know, hiccup when it came to that that schedule, and um, they've just lost games that that they shouldn't have lost. And and I honestly, the way Miami's playing, the way Chicago is back and forth, uh, Arizona. I mean, they lost to the Yankees a couple days ago, but then trounce the White Sox uh, last night. Um, so I, I highly doubt that they will make the playoffs uh, come down. And I know that's sad for a lot of Reds fans, but it just statistically, you know, you've got to have it because Philly's just, that's, that's a lock. That's not even a question. Um, so they would have to leapfrog Miami and Chicago to get in. And I just don't see that happening with the remainder of the schedule and what Arizona and Chicago. Um, honestly, I think that Miami is going to squeak in. They're only a half a game back in Chicago, and I think that they're going to squeak in and uh, Chicago is going to be out. So unfortunately, not this year Cincinnati, but um, I think that this was a, and I know I've used this word a lot, the coming out party, but um, I think this is a different, um, mentality now in Cincinnati and I think that on the in the offseason they can add some pitching um, I think that their offense is is, is fantastic so if, if you just uh, you know allow uh, some starting pitching to to kind of uh, develop a little bit more and possibly get some free agents I can see next year being a year and it's funny because at the end of last year there's no way I would have said this about Cincinnati this year um, and now it's it's a really it's a change and, and they fought hard the entire season so statistically they're not out of it but uh, I just I don't necessarily see it see it happening um, they're four and six or no sorry they're five and five in their last ten um, so we'll see yeah Def, I, you know, a young team, when you say that they had the, you know, the 20 easiest remaining games there when we talked about them last, I think, I think you would have hoped that they would have won probably more of those games to put themselves in a better situation, but they're a young team. And I agree. They, I think as an organization, the Reds have to look at what they have and they have to make a decision. Like, I'm not saying go all out, but I think you have to spend some money to bring in some pitching. And if you do that, then this is a team that is going to be in the playoffs next year. Um, Because of that offense that they have, if they're just able to have some quality starting pitching, this is a team that, that could continue their growth and continue their upward trajectory. Um, And like you said, I think we talked about it at the end of last season. Like this was a team that looked like they were sellers and they were going to be bad for, you know, years years and years down the road and and they've seemed to be able to bounce back pretty quickly. So my dream for an Ohio world series will have to wait another year, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, we'll see. What's crazy is that the guardians have, have literally been playing spoiler um, this last, you know, like 20 some games. Um, you know, they took two of three from the Orioles. Uh, I think they, you know, they beat Cincinnati in, in a couple of those games and, um, you know, as a team that, that, you know, was out of playoff contention, the, they're playing the spoiler when it comes to some other teams that uh, were vying for contention. And so, I mean, if, if anything to Cleveland's, um, you know, sake is that um, they're, they're 
putting up some wins that they shouldn't be winning and, uh, you know, causing some heartache, uh, especially in the AL East. So uh, we'll see. Yeah, I think both teams, we talked about it, their their five-year trajectory probably three or four episodes ago. And yeah, I mean, I think both teams are are on the up and up, but their ownership has to be okay writing some checks. And we'll have to see if that's the case. <laughs> it really hasn't been in their history. So I don't know. They got to be okay writing checks and then they can, you know, win some games, but do it smart don't be like the yankees and the mets and just sign a bunch of people for a bunch of money and not win anything (laughs) you know what i mean try to be tactful with it try to be smart with it um and get what you need don't get what you want i think that's probably the the best thing i could say well it's what's crazy is the mets too like you get rid of you know your two top tier pitchers and they haven't played like lights out baseball but They've been playing some pretty good baseball since uh, the trade deadline, and they've put up some wins that games they shouldn't have won. And it's just like it's all of a sudden you get these you know high-headed um, elite stars out of the out of the locker room, and and you know the team just seems to be playing better and maybe a, a better vibe in the clubhouse. So uh, I don't know, just interesting. Uh, baseball around this time is always just uh, it's scary because you never know what's going to happen. You've got teams that are obviously out, but the players are playing for either incentives or they're, you know, possibly going to be free agents. So they want their stock to go up. Um, and so, um, yeah, yeah. FanDuel has, has taken my money um, easily these last uh, like two weeks because teams that shouldn't win are winning and, you know, and teams that should win are losing, but I get, uh, you just kind of got to be smart with it, I guess. Um, you know, I put some money on Baltimore and Tampa, um, but I think that once teams uh, and Atlanta too, and then once teams um, are in the playoffs, they kind of maybe bring up some players that uh, need some experience and they're willing to take some losses. So, I don't know. It's postseason is going to be interesting. So, we'll see. Yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. Um, Unfortunately, I don't know if we'll get to really talk about it in the Ohio sphere, but, you know, I'm sure that on deck you guys will uh, really hit on those playoffs a lot. So tune in for that for everybody listening to on deck, the playoff edition. (laughs) Um, Let's go ahead and talk about probably the biggest topic to come out of Ohio sports the past couple weeks here and just the continued dysfunction of the Columbus Blue Jackets. <laughs> um, if you guys didn't know, we uh, hired a head coach in what, July? And then he resigned last week. So before he even coached a game, if you don't know why, um, there is a podcast, I think called Spit and Chicklets. It's uh, basically out of Barstool. Um, and they had gotten some inside knowledge of what was going on within the Columbus Blue Jackets organization and leaked some statements saying that basically Babcock had either hacked or made everybody show him their pictures on their phone um, and just a bunch of other crazy things. That same day, there was a statement that came out from Babcock and I think Boone Jenner about how it wasn't true and that they were just trying to get to know, he was just trying to get to know the players better, better. Um, And it kind of seems like since he resigned more of the reports that come out that have been leaning more towards what was actually said on that podcast that came out. So Greg, just first, like, you know, how did we get here? With this, like, should we have? I mean, I, I think we saw it coming as fans, but just the organization, like, how how did we get here with this guy as the head coach, and and now he's not? I mean, again, it just shows the ineptity of the the front office and and their ability to find talent uh, in the coaching staff. Um, I mean, it, their inability to find good free agents uh, to, to sign just in general. Um, I mean, 
I don't necessarily think that this was a bad thing uh, for Babcock what he did, but I think that he was. I think he was already. That's it's just a hard topic. It's weird. Um, I think he he you know signed with the Blue Jackets uh, you know looking for a job, but I don't think he wanted the the, the headache. Um, I think that came along with it. It's you know he's been out of uh, coaching since 2019, um, so it just. It, it seemed like he just gave up too quickly. And, and, you know, a lot of this is saying it's criticizing him for invasion of privacy, you know, and he, from what I read is that um, he put some of those photos on the, like the big screen and screen in the locker room um, to try to, um, as like you said, I, I kind of get to know you and some players like Boone Jenner, um, you know, said that they didn't mind the interaction. Um, and they, you know, it was Johnny Gardot. Um, he said they didn't view it as an invasion of privacy. Um, you know, obviously other players, you know, thought it was handled uh, and interpreted differently by other players. Um, so, uh, you know, if you're using it as a, as a team building exercise, um, you know, that's one thing. And it's not like, you know, it's not like these players were sharing nudes or sharing, you know, anything like that. So it's just, you know, if, if they're sharing family pictures, if they're sharing, you know, like, and that's where it really comes down to it is like what type of photos were they sharing? And the fact that, you know, he's sharing it with the rest of the team to me, when I read it, it reminded me of bringing in a, a picture of you as as a as a child to work and having everybody in the rest of the work environment, uh, you know, pick out who is who. Oh, I think that that's oh, that's got to definitely be Joe, and that's got to be Mike, and and stuff like that. And and to have the players, and and I don't know exactly which players because that hasn't come out yet, have complained about invasion of privacy, but. It just seems like, pardon my friends, but a, a, a shitty thing to say on the player's side of it, um, to consider that invasion of privacy. And then it just, again, goes back to the character of Babcock that you're just going to give in that quickly instead of being like, no, guys, this was a team building exercise. It was an invasion of privacy. Um, they had the opportunity to say that they didn't want, you know, want me to share their stuff with the rest of the team. Um, it's not like he expressed or showed um, sensitive information about anybody's like bank accounts or anything. Nothing. There was there's nothing like that. But the fact that Babcock just immediately, um, you know, gave up. You know, I think in his statement, it says, "Upon reflection, it has become clear that continuing as a head coach at the Columbus Blue Jackets is going to be too much of a distraction." Um, you know. I'm disappointed to not have the opportunity to continue to work that I've begun, but it's in the best interest of the organization for me to step away at this time. It just seems like it, it, he didn't like what the situation he had gotten into and he just decided this was a perfect opportunity for me to be like, you know what, guess what? Uh, yeah, maybe I'm going to leave instead of, you know, I don't know. Just, I think, shitty on all fronts. Shitty on the players, shitty on Babcock for leaving, shitty on the front office for hiring somebody that that um, didn't care enough to stick around even through somewhat of adversity. Um, so, you know, I, I think uh, Pascal Vincent is going to take over. Um, and this and this is another thing. It's like this guy's been passed over for the job in the last two coaching hires. And now you're just going to, you know, make him head coach as a consolation prize. I don't know what you're going to get out of out of that. So um, it'll be interesting to see what the Blue Jackets ownership does. I mean, McConnell has just been in, indignant when it comes to this stuff. Um, you know, Davidson, the general manager, is, they just seem to not fully – care or understand what it takes to be a, an elite uh, hockey club and you know put quality players and quality coaches in front of you know the league so uh, I'll get off my soapbox now
I I agree with a lot of things you were saying. I, I think I don't know. I mean, the the one thing that I'll say is I kind of disagree on why he walked away because it seems like people don't want the investigation to stop into it, but it seems like it kind of dwindled when he walked away. And I'm almost kind of in the camp that, you know, when they hired him, there was a, or the talks of them hiring him, there were a ton of people that came out and said, this was the worst idea that this guy had some of the worst character issues that he treated players awfully that he was just like not a good person in general. And, you know, then we had this media storm from the blue jackets and Babcock being like, Oh, you know, I'm, I'm reformed. I've changed. I took this time away from hockey to grow and get better. And, you know, I think he coached like his grandson's hockey team or something. So he's like, I use that time to connect in, and get to know the this new generation of hockey players so I can apply it to, you know, now being a part of the Blue Jackets and just all this stuff. And obviously saying a lot of the right things and and OK, like, all right, we'll give you a, if the organization is going to hire you anyway, like we'll give you a little bit of a chance. But I just feel like there were so many things that were saying, Hey, like you shouldn't hire this dude. You should pick somebody else, pick somebody else. And they didn't, they hired him anyway. And we're in a situation where like, sure. A lot of the veteran guys were okay with whatever was going on in there, but it didn't seem like the young guys were okay with it. And he's had a track record of being super hard and kind of inappropriate with a lot of the younger players in the NHL, whether that was with, he was with Toronto and I think he was with Detroit for a stint. So like, I don't know. And, and the other thing that's crazy is like the organization organization said they had nothing. They knew nothing about this. Like they're so hands off that the people above Babcock had no idea that Babcock was, you know, if, if that's all it was, if he was just asking for pictures to put on the, the screen to, you know, build team camaraderie. Cool. Awesome. That's a cool idea. But if that's all that it was, you know, upper management didn't even know about it to begin with. And then if it was a problem, whatever the problem was, those young guys didn't have any faith in going to upper management. They went to a podcast. <laughs> like, I don't, I don't understand. Like there's so much that like, there's so many like weird things that have gone on in this situation. And I feel like there's more to it. And I really hope that somebody takes the time to dig more into it only because I really want to know what was going on. I want to know what the real reason that somebody felt so upset about what was going on that they went and they, you know, spun this story or if it is real, like were the young players just really upset with Babcock because the way that he coaches them. So they, spun some story in order to get him to be in a bad light again. So he would leave. Um, or was it true? Did he leave so that the investigation would stop and then he wouldn't have to face any of the questions, you know, did the organization figure out what was really going on? And they said, you got to get out of here. Like, I, I don't know. I mean, it's just like a very, like, I, I don't know. And, and this leads me to my second question, Greg, none of, None, none of the upper management got, nobody got fired. Like we've had, we've had like, like all-star caliber players in the past five years, just up and be like, I'm not playing there. I'm not playing for this organization. That can't, that can't happen. You can't draft and develop a guy to all-star level caliber play and then not be able to keep them. There's nothing you can do to keep that person. We have to overpay people to come here. We have to continue to draft young talent or we have to trade away our good talent um, for draft picks or players who are super old and not really reliable. Like, how, how do you not look at this as like the final straw as ownership? How do you not be like, screw, con-, they said because consistency. They didn't want to ruin the consistency of the season. Screw consistency. The cons- what's what consistency are we going for? Dysfunctional, mediocre, crap. I I don't understand. Like so, like what's your opinion on them not cleaning house on this? What's your opinion on them 
not making a stand and and finally being like, hey, we're not going to allow you to run this organization to the ground. We're not going to allow you to disrespect the fans. Like, what? what's your opinion on this? I mean, the best thing McConnell could do is sell the team. I mean, when it comes down to it now, because it is just shown that he has zero interest in, and like I said before, he, he has zero interest in putting quality people in places of um, leadership and management and coaching and players. Nobody wants to play in Columbus. No, the Blue Jackets are, I mean, I would love to, to really interview some NHL guys and really find out exactly what their opinions of, of Ohio and, and Columbus Blue Jackets are because you can't get top tier um, coaches. You can't get top tier um, GMs. You can't get top tier, you know, president of, of operations. You can't get any play. You just, nobody cares to play in, in Columbus and it, it, it comes down to ownership and, I, I, the, the best thing that he can do is just sell the team and, and you know, move along um, because maybe then things will change and then you can get a new ownership group can come in and really take a look um, at, at, at the team as a whole and, and, you know, bring in fresh talent and bring in people that are going to want to play for those, those owners. Um, so I, that, that's my answer to that, sell the team. Oh man, I know, but it's just like it's just not that simple. I, I mean, I, there's just, I mean, yeah, there's a ton of billionaires out there. I'm sure there's somebody who wants to get in the hockey sphere, but I, I just don't, I just don't understand these these billionaires. Like, you have a product, you have a fan base that is one of the most passionate within fan bases for sports. I mean, think about what Columbus did for the Columbus Crew and keeping them here, like we're able to get talent from other countries to come and play in Columbus and not even understand what, you know what I mean? They don't know what Columbus is and they come over here and play and they love it. We have Ohio state. Who's able to get top tier talent from around the country. Those guys could go to sunny California. They could go to Florida. They could go, you know, somewhere else, wherever they want to go. And they chose to come to Ohio state. You know, you look at Cleveland and Cincinnati, and I know it hasn't always been that way, but, you know, for the most part, their professional sports teams over the past, like, five or six years have been able to bring in top-tier talent, top-tier coaching. So, like, where, what, like, what is it? A, it's got to be an organizational thing. It's not a city thing. Columbus is not a bad city. Is it? Is it New York or Chicago or Miami or Los Angeles? No, it's not. But it's not a bad city. Like, I don't, I just don't understand. And I, maybe, maybe it is, maybe it's, they have to sell the team. Maybe the NHL looks at this and says, Hey, maybe you should get out, but I don't think he's going to because he's making a crap ton of money off of it because the fan base is so loyal and they're so optimistic that they're just going to continue to go watch games and continue to support them. And I don't know. I, I I don't I don't know how you how you get somebody to sell something that they don't need to or want to because there's nothing there's nothing in Ohio first of all that's competing against the Blue Jackets. It's not like NFL wise where you have two NFL teams, two MLB teams, two MLS teams. Like there's nothing competing with them. They're the only MLS team in Ohio. So if you live in Ohio, odds are you're a Blue Jackets fan. There's nothing competing with them. So they don't have to. They don't have to do anything to be good, or I, I don't know. Did you mean NHL? Do what I say. What I say. Sorry. MLS. Oh no, I was saying there's there's maybe I yeah maybe I mixed yeah. up. I was saying because there's two MLS teams, you know, and then with NHL there's not there's no other NHL team in Ohio, so it well, just. My question to you is then you say that they're making a crap ton of money, but what are they? I mean, he, you know the jerseys are only selling to a small portion of the fan base. So it's not like they've won a Stanley cup and, and even the fringe, you know, uh, NHL uh, fans are buying jerseys and buying t-shirts and hats. So you're, you're selling merchandise to a small dichotomy. Um, as far as I, I, I'm not sure of the attendance, um, but it's, it's pretty packed almost every single game. I mean, that's, 
that's the thing is like, yes, the merchandise might not be selling at the same rate as some other organizations, but that arena is packed almost every single game. When you think about the revenue share within the um, NHL, it's each team gets the same amount of money every year. So it's not like they're getting any less money than a team like, you know, that's in New York or any of the other big cities. They're all getting the same revenue share when it comes to TV money. So like the money's flowing, but then they're not, then they're not paying people. You know what I mean? Like they're, they're, they have some people on the, on the roster that have, you know, high salaries, but it's not like they're really paying for a top end roster. You know what I mean? So when you have fans that continue to go to games and and pay for all the stuff that's there, concessions and tickets and all that stuff to go watch what? I mean, it's it's like what the Bengals did for years with uh I can't think of his name. Oh my gosh. Hugh like Hugh Jack. No. Yes. I don't know. Whatever their freaking head coach's name was for 20 years where he was just didn't win anything. Like and they were just okay with it. You know what I mean? I just, I don't know. Yeah, I guess you're right. He probably should sell the team, but I don't know how you make him sell the team. Because if he wanted to, he would have already tried. You know what I mean? It doesn't clear, clearly seem like he doesn't he doesn't care. So, I don't know. <sighs> Let's talk about the team, though. And with all this dysfunctional that's going on, Dysfunction, I should say. Can, can we have a good season? Can we win games? Can we be competitive? I I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I don't... I don't see this. We've discussed this ad nauseum, so it's just to the point for me now that I'm like... Uh, I don't even... For lack of a better term, I don't even look forward to discussing them on this podcast because I... It's just nothing positive to say. It's nothing good to say. It's always, you know, poor performance, poor play, poor management, poor ownership. It's just, it's, it's, you know, I'd rather, you know, talk about the Buffalo Sabres um, over, you know, the the Blue Jackets because it's just nothing's ever going to be positive. They, They might win a few games here and there, but they're never competitive enough to actually do anything. Um, you know, moving forward. And it just, um, like I said, probably a million times on this and, and you know, earlier uh, in the episode, it's just in, until there's a change at the highest level, um, all, you know, Columbus Blue Jackets are not going to be competitive um, moving forward. And uh, we're not going to be happy with the news that we report about the Blue Jackets until that happens. And and I know that sucks to hear from a professional sports team in the city that you live in, but it's just the way it is. Yeah, I think it's uh, very much a, a prove it. They have to, as an organization, as a coaching staff, as players, you have to go out there and prove it to the fan base that you can be good that you can compete that the dysfunction is non-existent um and that you guys are cohesive as an organization and i i don't think that we're gonna get that um unfortunately greg we still have to talk about them because they're in ohio but (laughs) maybe we won't talk about them as much maybe we'll talk about the lake erie monsters i don't know maybe i'll do better uh but they're still kind of a part of the Blue Jackets organization. So uh, I don't know if that's much better. <laughs> so I don't know. Let us know at home what you guys think. Like, if you're Blue Jackets fans, let us know, like, how you're feeling. Do you – I mean, are, are you still optimistic about the season? I, I'm not, but I don't know. I don't know. All right, let's go into our double take segment. Finish this episode off. Greg, I'll let you go first. All right, so I saw an ad on uh, Peacock NBC um, a couple days ago, and in the 2024 Olympics are coming up in Paris. And uh, that was, um, you know, I I figured uh, a 
about a year before the Olympics, you get to, you know, your first um, commercial. So it was actually kind of like, oh yeah, that is coming up. So it was kind of nice. So when you think of Ohio and you think of the Olympics, who comes to mind? Uh, what, Jesse Owens? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's what, what everybody talks about is the, uh, Jesse Owens, uh, James Cleveland, Jesse Owens, uh, who was the American track and field athlete who won four gold medals in the 20, uh, 1936 Olympics. So that's, you know, what you, you, you always think of. But did you know that he wasn't the uh, first African-American um, athlete to win an Olympic gold medal? Uh, I did not know that, no. So DeHart Hubbard of Cincinnati was the first African-American athlete to win an Olympic gold medal. He won it in the long jump in Paris in 1924. Uh, so I believe um, you know, that it was the first African-American athlete to win an Olympic gold. Um, it was actually DeHart Hubbard of Cincinnati for the long jump, 24. Wow. I say, I say it every time, but there's just so much like deep, rich, like sports, like, I don't know if you would call it lore or like just history, deep sports history within Ohio that I don't think a lot of people know. Like I mean, we've talked about the Olympics. We've talked about, you know, John Heisman, the person who the Heisman trophy is named after we've gone down lists of countless people that have been influential within the sports world that have come from Ohio and it's a very, just very interesting. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't really have a fact. I just uh, have more of a statement. If anybody is huge soccer fans, or even if you're not a soccer fan, um, we're kind of coming into a cool time here where, you know, we don't normally get multiple franchises within the same sport in this state be this successful as the crew and Cincinnati FC have been. Um, so as the playoffs come near, watch these games. You know, if you have the ability to, I know it's on Apple TV and it's pretty stupid, but it is what it is. If you can watch the highlights of the games or you have Apple TV, um, give these games a watch or go to the games in person. I think, uh, to support this upcoming, you know, league that not upcoming, but it's definitely growing. Soccer's growing within America. And I just think it's super cool that we get to witness a time in which we have multiple franchises in the same sport being competitive and being good. You know, I know the Browns and the Bengals are, it seemed like maybe this season that we would get both of them and they've had their ups and downs. We still might, um, you know, the Reds and the Indians are getting there. I think they're growing, they're getting better. So, um, obviously we still have Ohio state. We still have the Cavs. Um, but yeah, I think just in general, outside of soccer, Ohio is over the next five years should be a fun place to be a sports fan of any of these teams. And uh, it should add to that sports history that we talk about every single week. Um, because I, I wholeheartedly think within a lot of these sports, we're going to see some champions come out of them. Um, whether that's football, baseball, basketball, soccer. Um, I don't think it's going to be hockey, but <laughs> I do think the other ones, we will potentially see a champion or multiple champions come out of these different sports that we have. And it's going to be super fun, super exciting. So get to watching soccer. Um, if you call it football, you call it football. That's cool. But get to watching it. Get excited for the playoffs. These are two of the best teams in the league. Um, and it's going to be super fun to watch them. So did you have anything else to add to this episode, Greg, before we uh, gave it an end? No, no. I mean, I, I, I completely agree with you when it comes to um, what the MLS has been doing, um, you know, with the popularity of the Women's World Cup, um, you know, was one of the most viewed World Cups um, in a while. Uh, and then just having, uh, you know, people like Messi, uh, come to play with Miami, um, you know, it, it just, it, it's bringing a bigger spotlight to to the MLS and to soccer in, in the United States. And like you said, with having these two teams uh, playing at an elite level, 
um, it's just, it's, it's fun to watch. So, uh, you know, be excited, get excited because um, a lot's going to come down uh, for Ohio with these teams. Yeah. 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 As always guys, let us know if we missed anything. Let us know if you want us to talk about anything else, make sure you comment on our posts below. Every single time we make a post, there's a link to it, click it or copy it and post it in the search bar. If you go to that link, it's going to give you um, a bunch of different links. You can click on that. It'll take you to our social media pages where you can listen to us and all that jazz. But as always, I am Nick and I'm joined by Greg on this episode of Ohioverse presented by Deep Dive Sports. We'll catch you on the next one. Hey, everyone. Thank you for listening to another episode of Ohioverse. If you'd like to stay up to date on the show and sporting news in Ohio, go ahead and follow Ohioverse Podcast DDS on Instagram. Also, don't forget to follow deep.dive.sports on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and listen to any of our shows wherever you get your podcasts. And again, thank you. And catch you on the next one. Thank you.